0: to Strange Familiars. Allison? Yes. Other than being cold, how are you?
1: Other than being cold, I'm okay.
0: It is rather chilly
1: out. <laughs> it is. And we haven't even gotten the worst of it. I saw pictures of Chicago. and
0: Is that coming this way?
1: That might be, because I think that was a few days ago, so I think we're getting that now, maybe. Hmm. I forgot what, like, last winter was so non wintery that I forgot what real winter was like.
0: Yeah. well, I don't like it. <laughs> I think we needed it because the cycle of plants has been off, I think, for years. Like, some of the scrub in the woods just stays green year-round because we don't get hard freezes. Yeah. And I think we kind of needed a hard freeze.
1: Also, it kills off things that we'd like to have, a, so so we don't have the prospect of getting lime in February y- yeah, 2nd. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly.
0: Massive amounts of ticks that just never die off because it do, we don't get a hard freeze, yeah.
1: Cycle of life.
0: Well, on tonight's show, it's a show... Of two Johns, Allison.
1: One with an H and one with an N?
0: They both have Ns.
1: Yeah, I presume. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one with an H and one without, maybe? Yes. Okay.
0: Yes. I will be first talking to John Goodwill. If you remember a few episodes back, I talked to Mike from the Moth Boys podcast about the book that the Moth Boys did called The White Monsters of Sherman, New York. Well, after I had... Mike on the show, he said, hey, do you want to talk to John Goodwill, the witness?
1: No, of course not. That's not what the whole show's about. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so absolutely, yes, I did. So he put me in touch with John Goodwill, had a really cool conversation with him. I find him to just be matter-of-fact and genuine and just, you know, again, what he saw, I guess, is up for debate. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he saw something unusual and his whole family saw it to me is pretty apparent, you know. Mm
1: -hmm. That all to for me personally that when a bunch of people see the same thing, that always either a ups the interest level or b ups the validity level. So
0: yeah, and you could tell it was the 1960s though because they Mm -hmm. see this giant sloth thing, they tell their parents and at first their parents just laugh it off as Mm -hmm. any parent even today would. I'm sure you saw what you know. But eventually, the parents see it. They see it as well.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: These kids continue to have a robust outdoor play life, right? Mm-hmm. And I was trying to think, like, if we saw giant sloths or giant things that we didn't know what they were, they look like sloths, but you don't really know what they are.
1: You're staying in for a week or two. That's what I feel. I wouldn't let the I mean, they that. saw
0: this over the course of years. Like, <laughs> I don't know if I could ever...
1: Feel you confident re- going back to that area? Relax.
0: Yeah. Well, I'd be I'd be fine, but relax sending the kids out mm-hmm. by themselves, you know? Yeah. Like, go out and play with the giant sloth creatures. But they had several encounters, and it scared his sister off her horse. She was riding her horse one time, and it bucked her right off. She had to run home with this thing in the field.
1: It is fun to even just hear about those kind of stories of um, just kids on their own in the woods, too. Like, it's a... I know it's a trope of a certain era, but it's I a know. trope because it, it's true. Yeah. yeah like I we mean, really did spend a lot of time outside.
0: Were we the last generation of that? And then I think about so there's this one girl in the neighborhood, and I don't think she's here anymore. I think her grandmother was raising her, and I think her grandmother died. Mm-hmm. But she was like a normal kid, right? Yeah. Running around. Oh, you mean currently? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Run around, playing and stuff. But you'd see her like climbing a street sign. Like yeah. climb to the top of a street sign.
1: Or it'd be like 8.30 at night and there'd be like a gaggle of kids just walking and, around. And, and you like, think, oh, it's like, so. The,
0: oh. Yeah, like, oh, these kids are wild. And you're like, that's exactly what we did. Like, they're just being
1: kids. Yeah, but because she was raised by her grandmother, her grandmother would probably did the same thing that our parents did go outside.
0: It was allowing her to be a kid in uh-huh. a sense, in a way that, I mean, parenting changes and maybe for, for good and for bad, you know? Yeah,
1: I think it's probably one step forward, two steps back in most things.
0: Yeah, but it's interesting. It's, it's different ways we rear our children, I suppose, but uh, you know, none of them are right or wrong. I guess probably all of them are wrong. You know,
1: oh, Definitely, by the time you're an adult, you realize they're all wrong. Yeah. Everyone's just faking it. <laughs> Here, this is the big reveal on Strange Familiar for anyone that is younger than 25. Everyone's faking it. Oh, yeah. No one's really an adult.
0: Yeah, we often talk about that in private. I don't think we've ever brought it up on the show. There was a point when I was in my 30s. Now, when I was in my 20s, And I know you felt this way, too. We kind of thought, like, our parents had it all figured out. They just knew how to do everything. I'm like, how did they learn how to do all this stuff? How did they know how to do this stuff? And I'm not talking about repairing a toilet so much. I'm talking about, like, (laughs) insurance and, you know, medical insurance and this and that and pay these bills and set up this and and doing this and payment plans and that and this. And then when I got into my 30s and I started having to help my parents because I'm the youngest of six. So by the time I'm in my 30s, they're they're getting up there in age and they're they're starting to need help, especially my mom with MS. At some point, I realize they're just winging it, <laughs> but,
1: it was, but like, confidently, confidently, they were winged. confidently yeah. winging it. That's the thing; it's all about the confidence. You just got to project confidence. Like, yeah,
0: and it's like they didn't know what they were doing; they were just <laughs> doing it.
1: Whereas I think I I feel like I've always wanted to to stress as a parent that I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm gonna do my best yeah i'm gonna to try to help you as much as i can and do my best but i don't have a clue what i'm doing yeah, yeah. no one does no and no one does that's the secret so tonight big reveal on strange familiars everyone's a phony <laughs>
0: <laughs> we're all walking through life blindfolded just yeah. feeling our way around yeah, yeah exactly the second interview is going to be with john no h darby that's actually his middle name no h yeah no h john no h darby who has this weird Ouija board story.
1: You know what I've noticed about the whole Ouija board phenomenon is that it's one of those where nearly everyone has had an experience with Ouija board and everyone's had something that was just, if not outright, like we talked to a demon for years, but <laughs> right. then, there's, then there's always like just some oddness. Like everyone yeah. has some odd little anecdote about a time they were messing around with the Ouija yeah, board. Yeah, I think you're right. So as as much as I, when I was a kid, I was like, Could there really be demons in a Mattel product or whatever? Like, is it Mattel? I forget what we just owned by.
0: One of the, yeah. One of the major games. The same
1: people that make Barbie really injecting demons into a piece of plastic. But, you know, I guess it's all about how you use the tools, right?
0: Yeah, it's not the board. It's what happens on the other side of the board. Often people say, you know, I wouldn't have a Ouija board in my house. I'm like, well, there's nothing wrong with the board. I mean, I, I suppose... You could have these rare instances where a board could get infested with a demonic spirit or something evil. But
1: I think you could also make a case for not having Monopoly because you don't want to accidentally end up a slumlord. Well, I
0: mean, <laughs> you know. Maybe, I
1: would like to be a top hat though.
0: <laughs> maybe. A Monopoly board could get infested as well. But what I'm saying is generally there's not evil. You know, if it's so, I've, so many people in paranormal conferences, oh, I won't even have that in my house. Board's not going to hurt you. You could put it up on your wall, use it as a decoration if you wanted to. People with Ouija board t shirts and stuff, you know, they're not going to hell. It's the use of the board and what you may be contacting that you don't know of. That's the danger in it. It's not the board. The board's fine.
1: You could use it as a way to teach your kids the alphabet. It certainly could. <laughs> I guess you could. In the or same way just, we all know where Madagascar is because of risk, and there would be no other way to know where it was. Or
0: just go to sleep and let the spirits teach your kids the alphabet. Uh, just give them the Ouija board and just this seems
1: more proactive, take a nap,
0: it? And, and the spirits can teach your kids. Don't do that, people. Because there's a flood of, of emails. I can't believe you told people to do that. I'm not. I'm kidding. That's a joke. All right. Before we get to that, I want to thank our patrons. Thank you, patrons. Thank you for your help. Thank you for your support. Thank you for everything you do to make Strange Familiars or to help us make Strange Familiars. Without our patrons, we could not and would not make the show. You can become a patron at Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Familiars. There are different tiers of support. No matter what tier of support you choose, our patrons get commercial-free versions of the weekly shows Plus, bonus episodes. We do exclusive episodes every month for our patrons of Strange Familiars Full episodes. At least one. Often we do more. Again, it's patreon.com slash strangefamiliars if you want to help out. Apple Podcasts has a program as well. I think it's Apple Podcasts Premium, but ours is called Patron of the Strange there. When you sign up there, you get the commercial-free weekly episodes and the monthly episodes exclusive episodes as well all right let's go ahead and get to my interview with john goodwill about the white monsters in sherman new york i'd like to welcome john goodwill to strange familiars how you doing tonight
3: i'm doing great thank you how about you
0: I'm doing really good. I'm really excited to talk to you because I talked a few weeks back with Mike from the Moth Boys, and they put out this wonderful book called The White Monsters of Sherman, New York. After I was done talking to him, he said, hey, do you want to talk to John, the actual witness? I said, heck yeah, because that's my favorite thing to do on Strange Familiars is to talk to witnesses. So very excited to talk to the man himself. I guess we could just walk right into this. This first sighting happened when you were, what, 11 or 12 years old?
3: 11 or, yeah, 11 or 12. I was telling my wife tonight how kind of funny it was. I said, all them years ago, and I said, now I'm, I'm almost 70, and everybody's wanting to know about it. But, of course, I didn't share the story with too many people over the years. But, yeah, do you want to know about the first sighting then?
0: Yeah, yeah, because sure, what year would this have been? It's a bit back in the 60s, right? Uh,
3: yeah, it would probably been about, six, cause it's about 65, 66, somewhere in there.
0: Okay, yeah.
3: Like I said I was about 11 or 12. My brother and I, we lived a couple miles out of Sherman, New York, and we would walk into town. There was railroad tracks about a half a mile from our house, and there was a farm, it was a rural area, so there was a the road, then there was a swamp, and then there was a, a large wooded area. And but we would walk into town quite often, maybe for a pickup baseball game or just for something to do. And we were walking one day, my brother and I, he's a year younger than I am, and We were walking and I'm looking over to my right on on the edge of the uh, swamp and there's this large white creature and I'm going, oh my gosh. And, you know, at the time I said it was 12 to 18 feet tall and it, it had to be at least 12 foot tall now that I look back, but it had this long white tail and it was standing on two legs and it seemed like we would stop and it would stop. If we started walking, it would start to walk. And finally, I just got to the point where I was scared to death and took off running, but I turned around and my brother froze. Mm. And so I had to go back and get him and I grabbed his hand and we went to the cross the railroad tracks to the top of this hill before we turned around. And when we did, the creature must have ducked back into the woods because it was gone. So we ran actually to a sawmill. My dad worked in a sawmill about another half a mile or so away and, we went in there, just scared to death, hysterical and screaming. And of course, they all thought we were nuts, including my dad. So they all kind of made fun of us. But that was the first time, and it just—it scared us to death. I, it didn't come toward us or anything, but we were scared. I'll tell you that. How far away from you was this? About? Uh, I'd say probably seventy to eighty yards. And it was... was a clear swamp area. It was right at the edge of this, between like the swamp and a very large wooded area.
0: And it was sort of pacing you, though,
3: like yes, I mean, it was almost like it was just as curious as us as we were about. I mean it would every time we would stop and and then it would stop, so we didn't want to turn around and go home so I'm thinking I don't want to follow where I live, so I just took off, like I said, my brother completely froze, and if I had went back and and grabbed his hand i I don't know if the creature would have came toward us. I have no idea, but I grabbed him and pulled him along, and we ran.
0: And was this thing on its hind legs the whole
3: time? Yeah, this time it was on its hind legs the whole time, yes. And
0: how did it move? Like, did it move smoothly
3: in, in that way? Yeah, did... Yes, it was just kind of walking along. It wasn't in any big hurry. And once we started running, I didn't even look because it was just like we were scared to death. So we just ran and ran and ran till we got to the top of this hill, then turned around, and at that point we didn't see it again that day.
0: At what point did you put together that it looked like a sloth?
3: Well, I'm always curious about prehistoric animals and things like that. And when it looked, I said, wow, that looks just like, you know, you start looking for pictures. And it looked just like a, a sloth. And as I got older, it's almost maybe like a mylodon. If you've ever seen a picture of a mylodon, which is kind of a smaller version of a giant sloth. With the long, this had long white hair. Every time we've seen it, it was the same. Always had white hair long tail, and we just figured it just looked like a sloth to us. Wow. Yeah,
0: I mean that's like so out of place, and it was white. It was bright white.
3: All white, and every time we've seen it over the next few years, it was always white.
0: Yeah, that is so interesting. That is really interesting. So when's the next time you see it?
3: Well, I think the next time, we were on that road again, and We looked down, this time we were further away, but there was two of them actually on all fours, and they were actually by the railroad tracks, still close to the swamp and the large wooded area, but there was two of them there. And so we're standing there watching them, and we're like, oh my gosh, now there's two of them. Uh, And about that time, a train came along a few minutes later, so I know that train engineer, he was awake at all, he had to see these things, because the train went by, and then that was the last we seen of them that day. There was two of them that time, and they were on all fours.
0: Were they about the same size as each other?
3: Yep. from yeah, they sure were. Those two were very large. Yeah. And
0: I mean, do you think it was the same thing? Like, if it would have stood up, would it have been the same size as the first? Oh one
3: yeah, said? the same. Yeah, it would have been the same thing. We knew it was the same thing, whatever they were.
0: So are people beginning to believe you now?
3: Well, now they are a little bit. I think, and I went to my 50th class reunion last year and talked to a, one of my classmates. He said, I guess I had shared this with him when I was younger because I didn't. You know, when you're young, you don't want to share that kind of story because so everybody make fun of you and, right. and think you're crazy. But he said, John, I remember you saying something about seeing some what, what we called. We just called them white monsters. And, I, you know, we had no idea what they were. So that's why when the Moth Boys asked me what I wanted to call it, you know, the only thing that I can think of is we always call them the white monsters.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: And we seen them, you know, on several other occasions. I was on a bike riding the town once by myself, and I happened to look up over to the left. There was a lot of woods around where I grew up, and there was one at, at the corner of a field. This was on all fours, and I stopped and stood there, I mean, with my bike and watched him for a minute. Then I went back home hoping I could find a camera and maybe take a picture By the time I got back, it was gone. So that was the only time I'd seen that on the other side of the road, so to speak, in a a different set of woods. Wow. What was amazing, we had a, there was a neighbor, and I'm sure he's passed away many years ago. He was older, but he lived around the corner from us, oh, probably another half mile away or so. And his backyard faced the field and the woods. He was right there. Well, we had walkie-talkies when we was young. And we happened to hear him one day talking to somebody. I don't know who he was talking to. And he said, hey, I keep seeing these large white creatures in back of my house in the field and in the woods. He said, they're way too big to be a bear. I don't know what they are. And that's how he described it. He said, they're way too big to be a bear. So this gentleman had seen them basically in the same field and and woods that we had seen them. Wow. Yeah. So we're like oh, my gosh, I'm glad someone else, when my dad finally did see it, he was finally like, oh, boy, that's right. I I guess I can't make fun of you anymore because, you know, he finally seen it one day when it was down across the field, and he goes, oh, my gosh, you know, he thought we were just full of it or, you know, being kids, kids are kids. But he finally seen it, and he's like, wow. I was telling the Mothboys, I wish I believed in hypnosis. I don't know if it works. But we was camping in our yard one day at a pup tent, and my brother and I and two friends, and I woke up in the middle of the night screaming bloody murder, and I remember unzipping the tent and looking out, and all i seen was stars. And I've never done this before, and I've never done it since. But And then I got frustrated. I remember being frustrated because I couldn't zip the tent back up, and I laid back down. And my dad was getting up early for work when he came out, he seen one of these creatures it was actually over our tent in the yard and it had taken off over a dirt road into a different set of woods because we lived like said out there, there was a lot of woods but there was a dirt road so this thing actually was in our yard and i i don't know if i seen it if i sensed it i don't know because i blocked it out and i don't remember seeing anything except stars that night
0: yeah that's the one encounter in the book that really gets me it's The rest of the encounters have a very much like what we just call, I guess, like a cryptid encounter. Like this could be just some out of place animal, but that one has this like high strangest element that makes you go, Whoa, this is some, maybe something weird is going on here.
3: You know? Yeah. What was it doing? I mean, was it just curious? What was it? And I I don't get why it was always us, but I, like I said, I, I just wish I knew what was going on or where it came from. And I, and I tried to do research over the years I was a teacher. I'm a retired teacher now. And I would look during my free periods. I would scan the Internet to see, you know, the habitat, what could have survived. You know, because the last known Milodons were like in South America 10,000 years ago. Right. If it was something similar to that, it may not have been a Milodon. It could have been an offshoot. You know, why it would pick southwestern New York. You know, we used to get horrible winters there. It somehow would survived, And, you know, years later, we heard it there was in a gorge called Chautauqua Gorge, that there was caves down there. Whether they were in the caves, we never seen them during the winter. We always see them in the summer months. It scared my sister one night. She was riding a horse in the field behind our house, and it showed up in the field, and it scared the horse. The horse bucked her off and ran home, and she ran. So, you know, I suppose it could have got my sister, but it didn't. Again, I, I don't know if it was just curious or what it was doing. Yeah. But I know my sister was pretty darn scared. And the horse came back and went into the barn.
0: I guess she was, you know, she knew what it wasn't as much as these were the things that you all were seeing around before. Yeah,
3: yeah. She knew that. Yes, she knew what it was. My brother and I, and I, my sons can't believe this now. They're Of course, they're all in their 40s. But they're like, when I said something in the book about, my brother and I used to go down to the city dump. Now, that sounds stupid nowadays, but for us, it was kind of entertainment. There wasn't nothing else to do. We were very poor. So we would just go down looking for what we called treasures, anything that somebody might throw away.
0: I remember doing the same thing, just an old country dump. You'd dig bottles and other yeah. stuff. Yeah, Yeah, well, yeah I grew good. up on a farm. Because <laughs> yeah.
3: my sons could not believe that. They said, you really did that? I said, my brother and I would go down. When we had like 22s, we'd go down and shoot rats, mm-hmm. sit up on the bank." and shoot rats just for something to do until we ran out of 22 shells. (laughs) But we were coming back one night, and it got late. And, of course, we lost track of time, so we were walking home. And one of these, had it was dark, was coming across the field at us. And it was walking toward us that night, and we kept looking around each other, and we picked up our pace. We didn't know whether to run or whether it would run after us. And I'd never seen this thing run. All we ever seen it do was walk. But it came across, and about that time, my dad, who was very mad, I'm sure we, I'm sure we got a belt when we got home, because he was trying to find us, and he came along and and got us in the car and took us home. So I don't know what its intentions were that night, but it was coming over at us. Yeah, yeah, wow. So
0: after multiple encounters, do you get used to this thing, or are you still? I mean, it's an animal, a wild thing, or whatever it is. It's something unknown. So I guess you have to always kind of be careful, but do you get more used to it or less scared of it over time?
3: I guess we did because my brother and I hunted a lot. And whenever we would go, even if we go squirrel hunting or something, we'd always take slugs, deer slugs, just in case we ran into one of them. Never did. I mean, and we were in the woods a lot, but never did see them where we had a gun or anything. And I'd hate to think now that I would have ever shot it, you know, because I don't think it meant us any harm more curious than anything, uh, but it was, and I think we got less because we were at, a, as a family, we were driving, it's Route 430 toward Mayville, we're close to Chautauqua Gorge, and Dad, and I, we looked over and there was four of them, and it actually looked like two adults and two juveniles, and they were playing in the corner of this field. We pulled off to the side of the road, and my whole family, my mom and dad, my brother's but we all sat there and watched them play for a while until they went back into the woods. But we actually pulled over and watched, and there was four of them that time.
0: And the whole family got to see them.
3: Yep. We sat there as a family in the car, looking out the window. And Dad pulled over to the side of the road, and we sat there and watched them.
0: Now, Did your parents have any, you know, what did they say about it?
3: They, they just couldn't figure it out either, but they really didn't. I'm thinking if that was me as a, as a parent, I would have probably been trying to figure out what was going on. And, you know, we talk about it from time to time, but no one, you know, then after a while, probably after, you know, a few years of seeing him, then we, we didn't see him anymore. Uh, the last couple of years before I went into service and moved out of Sherman, we didn't see them the last couple of years we were there.
0: Yeah. So you saw these over the course, like these sightings happened over the course of years.
3: Yeah, probably two to three years, I'd say. Okay, all right. And we'd and always in the summertime, it was, you know, we talked to one other guy that said he saw him close to the city dump. I don't know if these things were scavenging. I, I don't know what they ate. We, you know, were they, did they go to that old city dump just to, to eat scraps? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it may not have had anything to do with the city dump. The railroad track's no longer there. It's now a trail, and I think that was in the book. I think they took some pictures.
2: Yeah, uh, of yeah. what's
3: now a trail, so we walked down that little bit, but it was quite the experience. And, it, and, and if I'd only seen it once and it was just me, I'd say that I'd probably was bonkers. But you know, we've seen it several times over several years, and my whole family's seen it. We know that one neighbor, how he described it when we were listening to the walkie talkies, and it was just like, wow, I cannot believe this, and didn't even think too much of it till. Years later, when, when the Moth Boys got a hold of him Well, actually, they put that letter. I wrote a letter to John Keel when I was 15.
0: Yeah, do you remember writing that?
3: Yeah, I sure do. I remembered that letter. And, I, of course, I forgot about it. I got an answer back when I wrote that. And I told him we'd been seeing these strange white creatures close to our house. He wrote back, or somebody did, said, you know, they get a lot of these sightings. They didn't have time to mess with mine. And I never gave it another thought until uh, he ended up writing another book called The Mysterious Beings, The Complete Guide to Mysterious Beings. Mm -hmm. And he published my letter in that book. And then, because I said I forgot about it, and my sister got a hold of me. She said, John, you wrote a letter, didn't you, when you was young? I said, about the white monsters. I said, yeah. She said, well, it's in a book now. Oh, wow. And then got a hold of it. And, of course, then the Moth Boys, who grew up in Chautauqua County, they're all like, wow. And they said they spent a long time, a couple of years the way they described it, trying to get a hold of me or find me. Cause I remember my son, my oldest son lives in Cincinnati now. And he, he texted me or called me one night. He said, dad, there's some guys from up around where you grew up. Want to know if you were the John Goodwill from Sherman, New York. And I told him, yes. He said, they want your phone number or your email or something. I said, well, I don't know who these jokers are. <laughs> I, said, I said, just give them my email. They can email me if they want. So they did. And they contacted me, and I said, now you guys just aren't flat trying to make me out a fool or trying to make. Fun. Oh no! Now they said we have fun in our podcast, which is no problem with me at all because I love to have fun. But I said, okay. I said so. We end up talking, communicating over the phone, and we, uh, I think, Facetimed or something. All four of us one time, and. From there it went, you know, we we met up in Sherman and they did the podcast up there. My brother did not want to be a part of it. He just said, nope, not going to do it. Uh, he sat there while we did it and it went up to Sherman and said so they did the podcast and it just seemed like it took off from there. I mean, they got the books now and I did an interview on a local uh, media outlet here a couple, three weeks ago where I just finally said, hey, you might as well find out about it around here. I know it's not Chautauqua County, but... I know they're telling me, Michael told me that they're in like all the libraries around Chautauqua County. They're, they got the book in every library. They got it on Amazon. So they're trying to promote this as much as they can. And they're always in contact with me, which I appreciate. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's a great story. And it's a great, not just of seeing the creatures, but it's this great story of discovering, of finding you. I've had the pleasure of doing this myself with some some witnesses in the past and i told mike when i talked to him i was like you get one or two of these probably in your career doing this you don't get many it's so fantastic when it happens that's why i, I was just so excited to interview mike and then when he, he asked he so said you want to interview john i said heck yeah i want to interview john i love the story and i love the stories it continues the story of them finding you and putting this all together it's just such a great story overall
3: yeah. When they told me the story of how all the work that they did trying to find, because it took them a long time to finally track me down. And it was like, I really appreciate it, Cause they took right off me. And they went all out just to make sure this story gets out. And I said, well, that's good. That way I figured I'd die with that secret, you know, that no one would ever know much about it. And I was hoping that somebody else would come forward and say that they saw it. Yeah. So that, you know, that they could do that. The only thing I've ever looked and I've looked over the years, Is near Jamestown, New York. I don't know if they're too familiar with the area. I've been up to Sherman before.
0: There was events they had there, festivals they had there that my band played way back in the 90s. Oh, okay. I've been there for that, but uh, I haven't been to many other places.
3: Yeah, because Jamestown's a a little bit of ways, and I happened to find one thing on the internet where it said, let me see if I can find it here. I had, because I've been always trying to find like strange sightings or creatures or white creatures, and... There was a something I found on the Internet here. It says at the end of this story, it said several months later, I read that in Jamestown, New York, there had been a sighting of a white Bigfoot, they called it, that chased a group of kids off a bike path, not far from where this guy had had his sighting that he thought was a Bigfoot. So, you know, white, you don't usually hear a Bigfoot being white. I'm just wondering if that's the same creature or, or not. I, I don't know.
0: Right. I mean, it seems that the problem is, With Bigfoot researchers, and I've noticed this, they'll kind of ignore, and some other cryptid researchers too, they'll sometimes ignore what the witnesses are telling them in favor of what they want it to be. So they would. What
3: they want to sound like, absolutely. You're right. Oh, I never thought of that. You're absolutely right, yeah.
0: So the the witness could describe it, like in your case, what you're describing with the tail, and you're very certain what you saw, and you saw it a number of times. You know, it's hard to turn that into anything else. But if somebody just saw it once, I can seriously see a Bigfoot research saying, well, it, you, it was a Bigfoot. You just thought it was, was that. Yeah, you know?
3: yeah, I can see that, too, now that, you, now that you mention it. Absolutely, they would. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it happens a lot. And it happens with these other. the dogman is the new fancy cryptid that people are, you know, he's, he's supposed to be scarier than Bigfoot. It's supposed to be like a, a wolf-like thing. And a lot of, sure. I've, I've, I actually put one in my book a local story that was supposedly a dog man and the witness contacted me and she was very upset and she said, well, I, I never said it was a dog man. So I was printing someone else's account, you know, another researcher's account. And she's like, and I told him it wasn't a dog man, you know, which she saw was, you know, more like a bigfoot." but whoever took the account was so determined that it, it should be a dog man that he wrote it down. But the, the witness was very yeah, upset. I, and I, you know, I had apologized. I said, I'm sorry. I was just printing what this other guy said, you know, I, and, you know, I have to correct it maybe in future volumes. But yeah, it certainly happens. The, which is one of the thing reasons I like what the Moth Boys did. And I like that, that you're very certain about what you saw because this wasn't a Bigfoot, by all accounts. This was looked like a sloth. No.
3: Not even close to a Bigfoot. No. Mm-hmm. Sure wasn't. No. Nope.
0: The drawings show it with sort of like the sloth like long claws. Did you see those? I did not
3: see the claws. I think they kind of added that to the picture. I'd. We were never that close enough to where I seen the claws.
0: Okay.
3: Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, all we seen was like the big, big white with the long tail, but no, never did see the claws.
0: Mm -hmm. Wow, it's such a cool account. And like I said, I I just love the whole story of them finding you. During the time that these were happening, did anything else strange happen? Did you ever see any weird lights in the sky or anything like that?
3: You know, the only other thing, and, and and I'd almost forgot about it, this was actually... Probably a couple of years before that, I went before we first seen them, or at least a little while, uh, we were camping with the Cub Scouts in Chautauqua Gorge, and I remember going out behind the tent one night and had to go to the bathroom. I was out there, and I seen, and I looked up, there was like a spacecraft, but now it wasn't a flying saucer. It looked just like one of our spacecraft, like a cone-shaped, and it was going very slow, and it, it wasn't that high. Above the the trees, even, and I'm looking up there, thinking, "Wow!" And of course, then I thought the only time I ever seen that, and I thought, "Well, my dreaming or what?" But that was kind of different that night. Like I said, it wasn't like a UFO, like everybody describes it as a saucer and zigzagging, and this was just very low and very slow moving over that area. But we were camping in Chautauqua Gorge, but other than that, uh, we never seen anything. No.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Well. I'm
0: so glad the story got preserved. I'm so glad it, it didn't leave with you. You know, I hope you're around for a long time, but I'm glad the story now gets to be in print and we get to share it on Strange Familiars and Moth Boys get to share it. And I'm glad the story lives on because I think it's, it's wonderful. It's strange. It's weird. You know, maybe sometime in the future, somebody else sees it or looks back on this. Oh, and- I, would,
3: I would love that because it's just like I told the Moth Boys from the beginning. I said, hey, this is 100% the truth. I take a lie detector test, whatever you want to do. And they said, you remember every detail. I said, wouldn't you, if you have seen these creatures, it's something you don't forget.
2: Yeah, yeah.
3: It's not. It's ingrained in your memory. You're like, wow. And it, now that, of course, all this is being brought up, I'll wake up some nights, you know, kind of half nervous and thinking thinking about those sightings again, which I hadn't thought about for a long time till the Moth boys contacted me and everything kind of came to light again.
0: Does it carry some kind of nervousness with it, those sightings?
3: yeah it does even like like said for me since i talk about it so much anymore it's like wow i'll wake up some nights almost not really panicky but really really nervous uh kind of flighty going oh my gosh that's what they look like it was like everything comes back so vivid it kind of scares you to death
0: that's really interesting because you know i made a reference to finding one of these witnesses to another account you know locally and this fellow was attacked by something big and hairy. He called it a big hairy monster. Now, this seemed to be more like a Bigfoot kind of thing. But I tracked him down. It was a very similar story. I found his story in the newspaper and eventually tracked him down and would call him up, and, and he, he would give me a little bit of the story, and then he'd change the subject. And then a little bit more of the story, he'd change the subject. Over the course of several calls and, and over several months, And the last time I talked to him, you know, I was trying to drag more of the story out of him because I was trying to get a timeline, a very specific timeline of what happened. And he stopped me and he said, Tim, um, I don't want to talk to you anymore. He said, I said, why? He said, I wake up screaming from nightmares for about two weeks every time after I talk to you. And he said, my girlfriend hates when I talk to you. That was it. That's the last time I talked to him.
3: You know, which I think adds credit or whatever you have not credits, not the word, but you almost think that's got to be the truth you know if they're if they wake up scared like that i mean if they were making this up it wouldn't bother them in the least i wouldn't think
0: yeah i mean certainly something happened right you know yeah we could we could say that much yeah yes john thank you so much for sharing your stories the book is called the white monsters of sherman new york you're on with moth boys thank you for coming on to strange familiars thank you for sharing your stories
3: i thank you for calling i'd love to share this story to anybody that wants to listen
0: So that book, again, by the Moth Boys, is called The White Monsters of Sherman, New York. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it wherever books are sold. And I think you can probably get it directly from the Moth Boys as well. It's a neat little book that chronicles all of John's sightings. In the back, there are some photos of the different areas where they had sightings. Lots of full-color illustrations. It's a cool little book. I really like it. The White Monsters of Sherman, New York. And thanks again to the Moss Boys for pointing John Goodwill my way.
1: Do you have a sense of, is Sherman, New York near Erie? Is that like Erie, Pennsylvania? Yeah, we've been there. We've been to Sherman, New York?
0: Yes. Oh. That's where those festivals were. Starwood and and all that. Oh, okay. Yeah, Yeah, we've been
1: there. Yeah, (laughs) yep.
0: Next up, let's talk to John and get his weird Ouija story, John's interview. Mm -hmm. I recorded it before we recorded the intro and outro to the show last week. Yeah. And I talked to John about the hanging tampon in the tree. Yeah. And I basically go over the same thing we went over last week. (laughs) But Zoe got such a kick out of it that I left it in just for her Uh in John's interview. So maybe she can laugh some more at two more paranormal fellows discussing a hanging tampon. That's for you, Zoe. You're welcome. (laughs) I'd like to welcome John to the show. John from Riverbend Comics, who we hear about somewhat often on the show. How are you doing, John? I'm doing well. How are you doing? All right. And how are things at Riverbend?
4: pretty good yeah we're, we're moving along it is pouring rain right here outside which is a nice i guess a nice change from the big snow i like i like having the snow but i'm, I'm glad it's leaving
0: <laughs> yeah it would do a little hike yesterday i knew the rain was coming so uh yeah nice spent some time in hex hollow and found a odd thing so and i wonder if you ever saw this i was off trail i wanted to look at one okay. of these, these walls that kind of work their way through hex hollow there's kind of a maze of walls and they connect in weird ways and I have some suspicion that they're they're maybe a little older than or maybe possibly a lot older than people think so I was sort of tracing one of these walls to the end I'd never walked it end to end Okay. I'm off trail you know thankfully we've had enough cold weather now where, you know the brush has beat down a bit and, and a lot yeah. of undergrowth has died and I see something white up ahead I'm Like what is that it's hanging from a tree it's right beside the wall hmm. and I get closer to it and I realize it's a tampon. Someone has tied into the tree and I thought, what? this is really, really weird. Like, why would someone do this? It appeared to be fresh out of the package. Let's say that. That's the, the most delicate okay, way I can enough. put it. <laughs> and I'm just like, what the heck? Why would someone do this? But then... I was talking about it on the Strange Floor's Discord, and people were like, "Oh yeah, people use them as trail markers. They make great trail markers." I had never wow. seen that before.
4: I feel like there's got to be so many other things you could use for a trail marker.
0: Yeah, I tell you, it worked. It caught my eye from a long distance because it was bright white. Yeah. You know, so I mean, as far as that goes, it worked. There weren't any others though. It's not like there was a series of them leading to it or away from it either.
4: Yeah, there was a time that we were hiking off trail, you and I, and I forget who was with us, but we were using like really bright colored tape. I think maybe Chad had it or something. Yeah,
0: like construction kind of tape. Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
4: that seems like way less bulky to carry a bunch with you. And um, that worked really well.
0: Yeah. I thought this was something genuinely weird or, you know, possibly perverted. But then when I mentioned <laughs> yeah. on Discord, people were like, oh, no, people do this. Like, this is a thing people do. I have not seen that. Yeah, I, I'm thankful that I haven't seen that. I feel like, yeah, it's, a, like it, that's not it's odd, but you know, I guess it's a thing. I mean, it you know, like I yeah. said, it certainly worked. I, I could see it from a long distance away, and I was like, "What the heck is that?"
4: Yeah, I could definitely see it working, but I might have a hard time explaining to someone why I'm um, right <laughs> carrying a whole bunch of tampons with me. Yeah,
0: yeah, a little bit odd uh, decoration for Christmas on the trees.
4: Yeah, I could see it as like a nice way to improvise if you are, you know, if a woman is hiking and, they, and she would happen to have them with her anyway. Like brilliant use of what you have at your disposal.
0: And I, you know, there's other articles people link to say basically they have like first aid uses because, you know, they are sterile. Yeah. And if you, you. Yeah, I have, I have heard that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, more than one person I think in the Discord said, "Oh yeah, I carry them with me when I'm hiking." I'm like, "Wow, okay, so this is something yeah. I did not know." But we're not here to talk about uh, feminine hygiene products <laughs> and hiking, we are here to talk about a weird Ouija experience that you told me about that is really, really, I don't know, I don't know if it's creepy or just weird.
4: Yeah, I don't know either, and I, you know, I've i been thinking about it a lot since I was telling you about it, and I don't know if it is just, I don't know if it is something creepy and strange to it, or if it's just a bizarre coincidence, So, but it, it was weird. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, it feels more than coincidence, but what it means or or what it's about, you know, who knows? I guess we can let the listeners decide.
4: Yeah, so starting to kind of set this up a bit, you know, it's holidays. My son is home from college, and his his girlfriend, who goes to another close-by college, basically spent the holidays with us at our house. She's great, and it was nice having them all here. And they were getting ready to head out to a party. My son's 19, and he guys his own car. So they're, they're getting ready to head out to a party. It is, you know, past dark. I forget what time it was. It's probably like 9 o'clock at night at this point. Right before they left, she happened to catch the the Ouija board that I have on my shelf and was really interested in it and said, can we do that sometime? I You know, full disclosure, I don't have a whole lot of experience with Ouija boards. I've, I've never really sat down and done it a session with anyone. But I picked these up secondhand and I have them and we're just kind of neat. And I'm intrigued by them. And it's not something my family would normally want to do. And my son himself is a total skeptic about this kind of thing. So I was excited that she had some interest. And I said, let's do it right now. And so she was game. And we set up in sort of a dark corner of my living room. And I said, you know, if we're going to do this, I want to take it very seriously. Like, this is like a uh, mass-produced 1972 Parker Brothers Ouija board. So I said, in all likelihood, what we're about to experience is probably nothing. Mm -hmm. Let's see, though, you know. For me, I believe it's less about the, the board itself and more about the people and what they're able to bring through. And Sure. So I'm like, yeah, let's try it. Let's do it. So we set the mood. You know, I, we had the lights out. I had a candle lit. My son was there just observing and his girlfriend is there with me across the table with me. And I said, let's take it very seriously. Take a deep breath. Set your intentions. And I said, you know, we're going to put our fingers on the planchette very lightly, just enough to... You know, feel movement and follow that movement if it happens, but not to try to, like, force the movement. And let's see what happens. So we sat just very still for a little bit. And to her credit, I mean, she was all in. She was total serious. She was, like, sitting very still. She had her eyes shut for most of it, really just trying to feel into it. I, you know, I said, like, is there anyone in the room that would like to communicate with us? Is there anyone here? Um you know, we, we spoke for a little bit. We sat in quiet, quiet for a little bit. I took my hands off and let her just sit there with it for a little bit. And after, you know, maybe 15 minutes, as expected, really, kind of nothing happened. We didn't experience anything. And so we figured that was pretty much it. Prior to starting this, I said, you know, just, you know, fair warning. Like, there is, theoretically, the possibility of, of bringing in a spirit or something or something that maybe is either mischievous or something worse, so just to know that's a possibility and she was like okay let's do this
0: i'm not laughing at that i'm just i just laughing at the willingness of like okay <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah
4: well it's really funny too because like my son being a skeptic his girlfriend she's from china and she was sharing with me some of the similar practices in her culture back home and something that her family did she's a she's a student here in college and came from china to attend college and before she left the country, her mom took her to essentially like what I would call like a fortune teller of some sort that um, used wooden blocks or buttons. I forget how she described it. That she would they would throw into the table, read those, and actually wrote up a thing for her on paper based on the readings in these items that she was throwing and and reading, and said to her, "For safe travel, you have to keep this paper with you at all times while you travel." And so she keeps that paper in her suitcase. And so she really believes in that. And she, so she was very serious about doing this and like, who are we going to speak with? And like, how's this going to work? And I was like, I don't know. Let's, let's give it a try. So she was taking it seriously. And like I said, nothing happened. We finished up, put everything away and off. They went to their party and she has a newer car that they drive. That tells her the air pressure in her tires. Yeah. As they're leaving, I guess, she noticed that the tire pressure was low in one of her tires and they sh- decided to stop at the uh, Rudders down the street. And for those listeners that aren't local, Rudders is a local convenience store gas station type place. Stop at the Rudders, use the air pump to fill the tires. And I get a phone call from my son and he says, Hey, we're having trouble with her tires. The air pump is not putting air in the air pump is, is letting air out. It's not working. And so, My first thought is, well, maybe it's a valve issue or something like that. So I said, do you want some help? They're like a half a mile down the road. I said, do you want some help? And he said, yeah, it'd be great. We can't figure out what to do here. The air is now pretty low. And so I went down, you know, two, three minutes away, drove down, looked at the tire with him, and I I tried the pump myself. It's not working. I said, yeah. I said, we should probably, maybe you have a valve issue. Let's swap the tire for the spare. So we put the spare on. The other tire I threw in my car, I said, I'll, I'll work on the valve tomorrow, see what's going on with that. And went on my way, went back home, they got the spare, they're good to go. By the time I pull into my driveway at home, I get another call from them and said, that said, all of the tires are now low and we can't get any of the tires to hold air. The pump isn't working, it's pulling air out of them, it's not putting air in. And I'm like, okay. And I I can't, for the life of me, figure out a reason why four tires would suddenly be low in air right? and that the pump wouldn't be repairing that. So I said, I'll come back down. I hadn't even gotten out of the car at that point. I said, let me turn around. And so I get down, and by the time I had gotten there, there had been another woman, I guess, pulled up to the pump because they, they needed to use it, so they moved out of the way. And this woman used the pump, presumably with no trouble, and went about her way. And so I said, okay, let's try this again. I'm now using this pump, and it's not putting any air into the tires. And her tires are supposed to be at 33 pounds apiece. Now I've got one of them at 9 pounds, one of them at, like, 22, and the other two at, like, 17. And I'm like, something is going on here. I don't know what it is. But about a half a block away or half a mile away is another convenience store with an air pump. I said, let's take a short drive over there and use their pump to fill these up. So we get to that pump. And that pump has a digital readout as you're using it to tell you how much And you program it for 33 pounds that you want. And then you plug it in and the number should theoretically go up. So I'm trying to use their pump now on the one tire that was seven pounds. And so I'm pumping it, putting air into it. And it says seven pounds, nine pounds, 12 pounds, 85 pounds, 40 pounds,
0: 50 pounds, two pounds. The digital readout is just going all over the place. So I had worked, when I was doing telephone work, I had worked in a tire shop. It was actually a place that they did tires for, like, tractor trailers and stuff. Okay. And I have been in there when they've overinflated tires. Like, they hook the pump up and, like, walk away and do something else while this thing was filling up. Yeah. And the explosions these things make, like, it, oh. it almost gave me a heart attack when this thing went off. Yeah. And yeah, I've
4: I've also experienced
0: that. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm always like, not afraid, but I'm a little, like a little gun shy. So if I would have seen that pressure jump up to like 50 or, you know, 80 pounds or whatever yeah. it was, that would have freaked me out. Yeah,
4: I wouldn't say it freaked me out because I'm there with the tire and I can physically feel that that tire has not enough air in it. Like right. I can, okay, I yeah. can depress that tire with my thumb. Yeah, yeah. But as I can, as I can feel how low that is, I can also see that that digital readout is going crazy. So that pump would not work on any of the four tires either. And at this point I'm at a complete loss. And I said, I don't know what to tell you guys right now, but what I can tell you is that you can't take this car to the party. So I ended up taking her car back to my house and I said, let me take this back to our house. Let's figure it out in the light of day tomorrow. I'll try it again. You take my car to the party, which is what happened. So I figured There's a manufacturing issue. All four valves failed at the same time. Something weird is happening. I didn't, I don't know. It was beyond my scope of experience. So 9 a.m. the next morning comes light of day and I have a portable air compressor. And I said, let me just try to pump these up. Meanwhile, I had already researched like how to replace valves in a tire. Is it worth it? Do you need new tires? I take the portable air compressor out, put it on the first tire pump it up completely. No problems. Second, third tire, no problems. I then took the one that had been in my car that we replaced with the spare. That was the original culprit. Pumped it up. Fine. No problems. I took the spare off, put that one back on, took the car for a test drive, checked the readings on the dash. It said everything was at 33 pounds. Like it should be no problems. And then that's when it popped into my head. I was like, Oh man, I did warn her that some, this could bring about mischief. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, I, you know, again, I don't know. Right. Who knows what happened to those tires? Maybe there's a listener with more knowledge about air compressors and pumps and tires than me, but it was a very strange experience yeah, that's, overall. it's
0: very odd, like right on the tail of the Ouija board. And to your knowledge, have the tires been fine ever since? Yeah, I checked in with her, and there's no problems with the tires at all. So doesn't seem to be – like at first I was thinking, okay, maybe it's the digital reading in the car, the sensors or whatever. I'm told they can go bad, but it would be odd to yeah. – odd for all four of uh, those to go bad at once you know it'd be really odd for four valve stems to fail at once but right. i guess it's not outside of the realm of possibility yeah yeah and then when you told me like the following day no it was fine okay that's that's a little weird and the fact that so it wasn't the pump you tried different pumps you know It. it's just yes, i tried
4: it, two different pumps at two locations and witnessed another woman use one of the pumps with no
0: trouble yeah I don't know. I mean, who, who knows, but that it is def- really weird.
4: Yeah, and it definitely wasn't an issue with the sensor in the car because you could visually see that the tires were low pressure. Like,
2: mm-hmm. the
4: one looked almost flat, and the other two were squishy, and and I kind of limped it home like that. And then the next morning, I was feeling really bummed the next morning because I'm like, this is going to be an expensive fix for her if she needs to replace four tires. I right. didn't know what was happening. And the air compressor just pumped them right up, and it was... <laughs> like they were brand new no issues. What did she say about that? Did she have any
0: any thoughts on it?
4: Well, she immediately went to the idea that there was a mischievous spirit that did this. Yeah. And I was like, I appreciated her like I guess her willingness to believe in something like that. Um, yeah, no, her, la- her lack of, her lack of skepticism, but and I tried to lean on the skeptical side myself, but sure, yeah. I still couldn't fig- fig- figure out what what was happening here. So all I do know for sure is that we had a very uneventful Ouija board session. We had a mention of mischievous spirits and then crazy mischief happened. And then the next day it was fine. Right. So yeah, for whatever that's worth.
0: I don't know. It's weird enough where I, as soon as you told me, I was like, Hey, can we put this on the show? I was like, yeah, that, that's, <laughs> Right. That's weird. So who knows? But, yeah. uh, it, it feels, it feels odd in the wake of the week. Yeah. Board. Yeah. And, yeah. And I was, filled with
4: gratefulness that the next day it was fine. Sure. So yeah. Whatever, whatever kind of mischievous was happening. I appreciated whatever caused that mischievousness. Uh, I appreciated that it was temporary.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It moved on if it, if it indeed was something else.
4: Yeah. So. Yeah.
0: All right. Riverbendcomics.com. You got anything cool coming up?
4: Yeah, we've got some cool stuff in, in store. There's uh James Tynion did his Blue Book series, and there's another series coming. So I think he's continuing his tales of UFO, real real true UFO experiences, which is pretty cool.
0: Nice. Yeah,
4: so always good stuff on the horizon. We've got new books coming in every week. The other thing we've been doing, we've been spending a lot of time doing uh, live selling on Whatnot. So if there's any listeners out there using Whatnot, look us up, Riverbend Comics on Whatnot. And uh, i been talking to Tim here, too, about potentially doing a... Uh, Sort of a live sketch Q and A session coming up in the maybe the first quarter of the year. So yeah, uh, would love to would love to hear if that's something listeners are into. If you're already using whatnot, if you'd sign up just to check in on that, or if you've never heard of this thing and need some education. But we'll try to get some information out there. It's just and for us, links.
0: Just it's for that. us old people. Is, is whatnot an app?
4: Yeah, whatnot is an, is an app. It's a live selling app. So you download the app, you register with a buying account, and then you can jump into live shows and actually auction and buy it now kind of set up. I felt a little bit like an old doggy learning new tricks, Mm -hmm. um, but I'm totally immersed in it now. And it's, uh, it's been great for us. You do multiple um, shows a week, don't you? We're currently doing five shows a week, five days a week. There you go. All right. So it's it's been a good outlet for us and it's fun because it's like a lot of like real time interaction with people. So I mean they're typing in the chat and I'm talking and popping up things they're looking for. And uh, we do a lot of theme shows so based on certain artists or sometimes we've we've done horror shows. It's pretty cool. And we're gonna try and get a little strange familiars collab going where we can get Tim on there live, uh, selling some of his books and artwork and a chance for him to interact with some of the listeners
0: in real time as well. Sounds good. I'm looking forward to it. All right, John. Thank you. Thanks for sharing your story. Yeah, man. Thanks, Tim. So after I hung up with John, he texted me, like almost immediately. (laughs) And he said, immediately after our call, I walked out into my kitchen and my front door opened by itself. <laughs> I said yikes, he said seriously, it scared the crap out of me. <laughs> Perhaps the weirdness will continue there at the house of Darby.
1: I think he just opened up the door and left though.
0: Maybe, maybe that was that was it. It was leaving. It was eavesdropping on our interview and it was like, okay, I'm done here. <laughs> Is there a curiosity, Alison? Do we have a curious We curiosity? do.
1: We, we have a book. A great book.
0: See, I wonder if this is one of those Mandela effect things, and I'm not one to fully get behind the Mandela effect thing. I think a lot of it is just people misremembering things. Yeah. The one I saw recently was people saying, like, oh, no, it was Jiffy peanut butter, and like, no, no. it absolutely was not. It was Jif peanut butter. It was always Jiff peanut butter. I'm sorry. My family was a Jiff family. The kids down the road were were a Skippy family. I remember just being like, Skippy, you heathens. To my knowledge, there was never any Jiffy peanut butter. There was a Jiffy Pop popcorn.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But
0: no Jiffy peanut butter. That was
1: in the silver thing that blew up, right?
0: I think so, yeah. So this book, it's called The Picture of Dorian Gray. And I swear I remember it being the portrait of Dorian Gray.
1: Yeah, when you actually, I was trying to double check, like, what the difference was. When you look up Portrait of Dorian Gray, the picture of Dorian Gray comes up. <laughs> but clearly, clearly it must be the picture of Dorian Gray. Unless, what was the movie, The Portrait of Dorian Gray? And that's where we...
0: Well, this book is The Picture of Dorian Gray. It also has De Profundis in it.
1: Yeah, this is a 1930s edition of both novels in one. A nice blue cover.
0: I think De Profundis was an was an essay he wrote from prison, perhaps.
1: yeah. In the beginning, they also talk about how many they printed from this particular publishing company. And there's a sort of a redemptive factor to that, I feel like, for Oscar Wilde, while he wasn't alive to see it. Yeah. To go from criminal, technically, to a revered author.
0: It says, The Picture of Dorian Gray was published in the Modern Library for the first time in 1917. In the ensuing 14 years, over 150,000 copies of the book were printed, after which the original plates were destroyed. The first edition from the new plates was printed in October 1931. Wonder why they destroyed the original plates?
1: I don't know to make a truly limited edition kind maybe.
0: Of thing. So this is a little hardcover book of Dorian Gray. It just says Dorian Gray on the spine. And Wilde. That will be our curiosity of the week for those book lovers. Everyone could use a little more Oscar Wilde in their library. I think so. <laughs> I will take a photo of this. And I will put it in the show notes. And if you click on that, it'll take you to our Etsy shop where you can purchase this and other curiosities of the week, those that are left. We don't often do books. It's a good change of pace. But over at Etsy, we also have artwork, original Zen prints. I think I'm sold out of the Bigfoot, Big Heart print. Somebody was asking for it. We get those printed at a local printer. And they use special paper. And they're the only place that does it. So we can only get them done there. So it's really a matter of getting the time to get there and them having the time to do them to as well, them off to print bars, them. Yeah. Yeah. So I will restock those as soon as possible. But we do have original artwork and prints in the Etsy shop.
1: Oh, I thought you literally had prints in the Etsy shop. You had brought him back to life uh, with a no, Ouija no, board. No, not prints. Oh, okay. Prints. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite Prince song?
0: I don't know. I, I feel like I'm going to choose an obvious one and people are going to boo. So
1: That's true. You can't win with music. Yeah, your opinion's always wrong. <laughs> yeah.
0: I do like Prince though. Yeah, I, I think he's a very talented. Man. I
1: always refer to him as the first man on my wall, <laughs> like the first poster, because it like uh, uh, Purple Rain came with a with a poster, mm-hmm. and it was you know before I started buying them for myself. Yeah, as a kid, like it came w- when I was a kid.
0: You know what my my dream cover album was? I wanted Prince to. Cover forever changes by love.
1: Oh, that would have been amazing. He would have done the guitar work on it. Would yeah, have been yeah. like stellar. Yeah, and he would have done new arrangements for it. That's what I like. Like Prince was so great at like the arrangements. I love that sort of like baroque pop kind yeah, of. That's <laughs> what I mean. He could
0: have taken forever changes and like I'm not going to say he can make it better because that album's darn near perfect. He could have made another perfect thing. I think mm-hmm. out of it. I don't know when I came up with that idea, but I was like, yes, Prince could do it. Mm-hmm. Like, he'd be the guy to do it.
1: That's funny because I was um, pricing some stuff up for the new store, and I have a print of Valentino, and I just thought, like, how un, what an unusual reference it is for someone to write a song about kissing Valentino. Mm-hmm. Like he's just like so ahead of his time, and so like such an unusual, unique character. That yeah, yeah, exactly. Go Prince,
0: but he's not in our Etsy shop.
1: He isn't <laughs> there. You have the other kind of prints.
0: My books are there. If you get them from Etsy, I'll sign them before they go out the door. You don't even have to ask. So all my books are there, including my art book, which you can only get there and maybe a couple other places like Riverbend. Petals and Thorns, the little Catholic ephemera zine I did. Paracord rosaries are there. Flower Pass shirts are on the way. They really are this time. So we will have restocks of the Flower Pass shirts. I've often said, I think the shirts are more popular than the podcast. So the shirts are coming back in stock. They'll be here probably later this week. As soon as I get them, I'll add them to the Etsy shop. We have Strange Familiars t-shirts, lots of different designs. Check them out. Strange Familiars mugs, Bigfoot mugs, patches, stickers, and more. Our Etsy shop name is Lost Grave. But if you type in Strange Familiars, you should see our stuff come up. All right. So next week is the beginning of something big for Strange Familiars. It's been a long time. And it's one of my favorite stories we ever did. It's something I always wanted to do more with. And it's happening. Next week, we return to The Witch Diggers. That's all the way back in Episode 4.
1: Is it that early? I wonder yep. if you check. It's Episode 4. Episode
0: 4. We are going to revisit it. Basically, we're going to tell the original story over again. Add new commentary. Post where the footprints end commentary. And then... Like I said, we're going to break it open. New information. Don't want to give anything away. That's it. So stay tuned. The Witch Diggers are coming. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back soon with more Strange Familiars. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Color Arts. Intro and background music is by Stone Breath. If you want to hear more or purchase music you can go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com strange familiars is on facebook facebook.com slash strange familiars the strange familiars gathering group is there as well we are on instagram at strange familiars one word no underscores please give us a like and a follow there for strange familiars merch strangefamiliarscom slash merch it's pretty easy to remember that's where you go for strange familiars merch strangefamiliars.com. I'm going to
1: use my context clues here.
0: (laughs) Slash merch. By saying that, I mean nowhere else. That is where you go. strangefamiliars.com slash merch. Anywhere else is not us. And we're always at (laughs) strangefamiliars.com.